dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. None of us like conflict. And, to be honest, a lot of people see conflict as a sign of failure. When we read the life of St. Paul, however, we see him constantly in conflict, and sometimes in very violent situations. How did he handle it? What is God asking for from us? It's so good to be with you all again. Let's go ahead and start us off with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm so happy to be with you today, and especially to look at St. Paul as an example of leadership for us, uh, and especially in the, as an example of leadership for our, us who are running organizations, because we got to always remember St. Paul was running an organization, and I would think even more than looking at him running an organization, you could even see him in the harder spot. He's founding an organization. St. Peter's role in Jerusalem is very much that of running an organization that almost instantly came into being. Paul's role in the world as he's going around evangelizing seems to be much more founding organizations where there's none at all. Uh, Look look at the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2. St. Peter receives the Holy Spirit with the rest of them, and he stands up. And by the end of chapter 2, Peter has 3,000 members of his organization. In a single day, He is now governing from 11 other people. He's gone to 3,000 men in a single day. He'll again have another 5,000 that are added to the number. And then you add the wives, the children. And in a very short time, the Christian community is numbering over 20,000 people. So Peter's job is is simple. I mean, like, he's got to suddenly find procedures He has to find organizational tactics. He has to deal with conflict. He has to deal with authority. He ordains the deacons, puts them in charge of things. There's, you know, and he has to deal with the money, the finances, the questions. I mean, how do you link these people all together? And who comes first? And what's the point of this anyway? And what is a Christian community all about? Peter has to figure all that out. Paul, on the other hand, finds himself with a different call. Paul's call is to go where there is no church 
and to bring the church. Now, this is a whole different thing because whereas Peter is instantly given a church that then he needs to govern and do, you know, it's almost like if you were to come into a, an established business and, you know, we have to re reform it, but at least something is there. You have people and you have needs. Paul goes where nobody even wants the business, right? Like Paul has to, he's got an idea, right? He, he's got a, a, a motion, of course, by the Holy Spirit. It's not just an idea, but you see, there's something akin to an entrepreneur who has a great idea and needs to go where that idea is not currently welcomed, make it welcomed, found the idea, organize the thing efficiently, and then send it off. Paul's kind of like that, right? He, he's obviously not that, but he's got something similar in that he says, I always made it my practice to go where no one else had preached before me. Okay, so he's going solo out into ground where people have never heard of what he had to say and don't really care what he has to say. So he's now got to make the initial sale. He's basically cold calling, right? He goes into the synagogue. Hi, everybody. And who are you? You know, well, I've got a message for you. Boom. You know, and he just, and he's, he's got to think about all the skill set that he had to exhibit and then all of the grind he had to go through. As he has to explain again and again what his idea is, hear the same objections again and again. In Acts 18, you've got Paul, who's actually teaching all day long in the Hall of Tyrannus. Right? That's the name of the, the place. And he's, he's all day long. It's from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day. And he says he stayed there for two years. So it's the same arguments, the same discussions. He's, just, he's demonstrating what that looks like to spread the word of God, his mission in an unknown ground and then dealing with the beginnings of people who take the idea and then twist it. Look at Apollos, for example, in, in Acts 18. He comes, he doesn't really quite have the fullness of the gospel. So Aquila and Priscilla have to take him and kind of set him right. Later on, Paul will actually endorse his work, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians. But he'll say, look, are some of Apollos, some of Paul? No, we're all of Christ. He, Paul, Paul knows what it's like to found an organization. And a big part of his work is wrapped in a conflict that far exceeds anything that we are involved in, seemingly. But then again, just like Paul has to understand sales and Paul has to understand uh, motivation, human motivation, and how to get people to, to do what they need to do, and Paul also has to deal with opposition. And I think about the way that we have to deal with opposition almost every day as we run our businesses or are engaged in founding our businesses. And, and we th think about the trolls that can come on social media. How do you deal with trolls, right? How do you deal with trolling on your Facebook page? How do you deal with bad recommendations that come out when you, you know, on your different sites, when people come on these bad reviews? I mean, you, you, you have to have a plan. You can't just say, okay, it's going to be fine. What if it's not fine? What if you actually have enemies, competition, jealous people, people that just are mean, spirited, that try to take you down? And, and they, or you go to a different location and you try to open a branch or a new idea and you actually have people who are working against you. How do you deal with that conflict? 
It's natural in our hearts to become bitter, to become worldly about it. Well, Paul has to deal with that in the same way. We're going to take a look at this because, you know, you're like, how do the saints deal with conflict? I think a lot of us imagine that, well, they just kind of lay down and lilies fall out of the sky and, and then they hand their enemies a lily and they say, peace be with you. That's not what Paul does. And then his enemies are not joking around. I want to look at with you at this because it, we're going to open our Bibles here. And I want us to look especially at Acts chapter 22 and 23. And I also want to take a look at some of the other spots in Paul's life because this opposition was nothing soft and his response to it was nothing soft either. And I think we have a model there that can encourage us as we have to face our own conflicts in our families and in our businesses. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. You know, we have to admit that, uh, especially as modern-day people, and then you could even say modern-day Americans, uh, conflict is not something that a lot of us are, are comfortable with. Our culture in general is not known to be especially combative uh, today in any way that's constructive anyway. I mean, combative maybe, but constructive dialogue is far from, far from the norm. Instead of, you know, I think a lot of us are, understand that there's, there's an easy way to make accusations today, but a very difficult way to defend against them. And we can therefore think that, gosh, the conflict that we face in our life and in our families and in our, our general you know, world, and especially in the world of business, can be a sign that we've done something wrong. I mean, without a doubt, the, virtue of, the virtues of kindness and compassion, gentleness, acceptance, tolerance, these are all a lot more accepted and celebrated today than the idea of being hard-nosed, driving, you know, uh, even standing for things. The only thing that you can really stand for today uh, and be universally accepted for is the idea that you should stand for everything and everybody. You know, if there's an underdog on the scene, the underdog's almost always right and needs to be defended and protected. And, and you know, there's a lot of rights to that, but what that does to us is it also takes away some of the edginess that it might actually be healthy and even necessary for us to win battles. <laughs> and I'm not talking about military conquests by political nations. I'm talking about the battles that we need in our relationships, the, the type of interior fight that we need to maintain as parents, as fathers, as mothers, right? And, and, and in our marriages, the, the fight that we have to do to go actually through the hard times especially if the other people don't agree or the other person that I'm married to isn't cooperating with me. What do I do in those situations? And a lot of us are just tempted to give up, you know, and because, but we can't. And here we got to look at St. Paul as he has this great idea called Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And he's trying to bring that great idea, that, that a great idea to the different communities and found churches behind him. What happens to St. Paul? He gets beaten, physically beaten. I don't know if you recognize this enough, uh, but like the number of mobs, there's at least four mobs that storm St. Paul 
and physically accost him. He's arrested in the middle of the night, dragged into a marketplace. That's Acts 17. He is, is stoned to death and left for dead. He's not, he's not actually dead, but he's stoned to death in Acts 14. Right? They, 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 they took him out and then they actually stoned St. Paul. It's like, why? Because he heals people. He makes people jealous. He gets beaten by canes. When you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, St. Paul lists all the different sufferings that he's gone through. And the physicality of these sufferings just kind of like makes your stomach turn. I mean, he is flogged. He is whipped. He is scourged. He is caned. He is put in prisons more times than he can count. And I mean, when he's put into prison, for example, in Acts 17, it underscores that the prison he's put into is the inner cell of the prison with his legs bound in iron stocks. And his, his hands are chained. His friends get arrested. Think of uh, Jason in Thessalonica, where Jason gets arrested and pulled in, into court because St. Paul was in his house, but then slipped out of the house. He has to leave in the middle of the night from Thessalonica, leave in the middle of the night from Berea because riots are forming around him. Riots. And then when you get to Acts 22, Holy, I mean, holy cow, look at all this, right? Uh, Acts twenty-two, twenty-two. It says, The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, <laughs> the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. Well, that's a fine thing. I mean, later on, you're going to have a similar thing. Look at Acts 23. Uh, the next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. You'd hardly think that that's an inflammatory statement. But look what happens. This is uh, Acts 23, 2. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered that those standing near Paul strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there and judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. I mean, like, whoa. He's being struck. He ends up spending years of his life in prison, in chains. I mean, and that's after being stoned, caned, imprisoned. This violence that Paul faces uh, is a sign, you know, a lot of times it's done by mobs. If you go back to Acts uh, 17, where it actually says that in Thessalonica, the, the people, the, Jew, the Jews that were there were jealous of what Paul was doing. And so they went and they found a bunch of, now that's a great word in Greek, right? To try to translate this. It's translated as ne'er-do-wells or miscreants or men of little worth. And, and they literally started a, a, a mob to get at St. Paul starting with people who had nothing else to do. I mean, so they were literally trying by the crowd to control the opposition against him. I think, you know, and there's a lot of parallels for that in our life. 
you know, from maybe children in the family that kind of band together. You know, you got your ringleader, your eldest child, and then the two or three underneath him, you know, kind of band around him. Or you went through a divorce and your ex is manipulating the kids against you. How common is that? Right. And then think in the business world. I mean, again, from the trolls on social media to the the competition's lies about you to a bad review to I mean you know to court cases that can com compile and compile as everyone tries to take you down how does Paul respond how does a saint respond well you can first of all look to the Lord Jesus Christ how did he respond and I think it's really worth noting that the Lord himself did not allow the conflict to push him around without defense. Think about when the Pharisees lined up and they were questioning him and he shot back answers right back at them. Remember the times they were like, answer us this question, you know, and Jesus says to them, I'll answer that question if you answer me this question. Then he asks them, asks them a question that puts them in harm's way because he says, where did John's authority come from? Was it from heaven or from earth? And they thought, thought to themselves, well, if we say from heaven, then he'll say, then why didn't you follow him? And if we say from earth, then all the people will hate us because John's a prophet. And so they said to him, we do not know. And then he says, well, either then will I answer your question. I mean, that was an amazing little back and forth. Or when they say, you know, um, you know, master, should we pay the temple tax? And he tells Peter, yes, go to the river, throw in a hook, take the fish that bites the hook, Take a coin out of its mouth and pay them the temple tax, right? Like just to show them things. I mean, he responded and he met that conflict. I think that that's the same thing we're going to see with St. Paul. When, remember when they came to arrest Jesus in, in the Gospel of John? He says, who do you seek? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. And then he says, I am he. And, and, and he, like a power comes out of him. And the people who were to arrest him fell back on the ground. They tried to arrest Christ three different times in the Gospels, and every time they arrest him, he walks through their midst. They pick up stones to stone him, and he walks right through their midst. He meets the conflict. And we're going to see St. Paul does the same thing. But how does he meet the conflict? He meets it like a Christian, and he meets it like our Lord met it. He meets conflict with strength, but not a strength that crushes, a strength that uplifts. Let's take a look at that. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. So how does Paul actually deal then with conflict? I mean, We've seen that, number one, it's part of his life, just as it's part of our lives. We've seen that Christ, our Lord, faced conflict and how he did that. How did St. Paul, does St. Paul demonstrate for us a leadership here? I think the very first point is that he faces the conflict. We are not part of a religion that runs from conflict. I don't know who it is that somehow or other came in and convinced us that like, you know, if you're in conflict, there's something wrong with you when the, the light shines in the darkness, right? And there, between light and darkness, there's a world of difference. And the Lord even tells us in John 16, look, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before you. Okay, so St. Paul, when he's faced with the, the jealousy of the, the people of his day, 
his fellow Jews that get jealous because he's converting the Gentiles. And no, I'm not talking about Simon Peter. Look at the pattern when he preaches. He goes into a synagogue and it says, Jews and Gentiles convert. And many of the prominent Gentiles were there. And then the Jews get jealous of it. So he's faced with this type of jealousy over and over again. Paul faces it and keeps on going. The problem is not the problem. Having problems with problems, that's the problem. Okay, so Paul will have problems. You and I will have problems. Running from that in order to have peace at all costs can, can cost us our mission. Peace, yes, but not at all costs, no. Because sometimes there's a peace that only comes on the other side of that conflict. I take a look at, you know, Acts 17, when there, Paul is in Philippi. And there's a, a girl there who's held in slavery by the devil, held in slavery by human owners, held in slavery by society. Three times she's a slave. And Paul actually goes after and frees her from her slavery. And the owners of the girl get so upset that now this girl has been freed from slavery that they actually, you know, go after St. Paul, drag him in the marketplace, have him caned and all these different things. And so like, but does St. Paul, what he really, what's on the other side of that conflict? This girl being free. What's on the other side of the conflict? It's people knowing about Jesus. What's on the other side of everything that Paul has to go through is the success of his mission as he spreads the gospel. And I think he gives us an example there about being mission focused. What is, is your business, is your enterprise, is your project really that unimportant? Because if it's really that important, then why is it even, why are you even doing it? Right? It reminds me of that saying by G.K. Chesterton, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Well, I think you could say anything worth doing is worth doing in the midst of conflict. And not everybody's going to agree with me. As I push forward in my leadership, like the lead goose in the, the, the flight of the, the flock of geese in an arrow flying across the sky, I'm going to take the brunt of the conflict as I leave a wide wake for those who are behind me. But if I deny that conflict, uh, on the other hand, I, I, I can fail for not trying. Second point, Paul never allows the conflict to be about the people. He confronts them, but he recognizes constantly that the, the real problem isn't them as people, it's them opposing what he's doing. When you look at Acts 22 and 23, for example, he's being stretched out to be flogged by the Roman centurion in Acts 22. And he actually turns to him and says, is it legal to actually flog a Roman citizen? So, you know, he doesn't say to the man, oh, you're so evil for doing this. I hate you. You know, that he says instead, wait a second. You know, he attacks him in that way. And when the Jews uh, have the Sanhedrin assembled in front of him in Acts 23 to judge him, Paul, Paul has a chance to speak to them and he says to them, the reason I'm here is because of my belief in the resurrection. And all heaven breaks loose and people fight back and forth. But notice he's the reason I'm here. The conflict that we face as leaders, we can deal with more, most effectively by not allowing it to be personal. Even if they take it to us in a personal way, we have to remember that if we weren't leading, Nobody would care. 
If we weren't trying, people wouldn't be attacking us. So it's not about us. It's about what we're trying to do. And by staying on that focus, Paul's able to stay with the equanimity of a saint, both in the midst of the conflict, but also not injuring those who injure him. And that helps us a ton because we're all concerned that if I actually uh, engage in a conflict, I'm going to be somehow transgressing against charity. You don't have to transgress against charity by engaging in conflict. You can actually be in this conflict in a charitable way. Okay, but to do that, what you need to do is keep focused on the issue at hand. Third thing is that Paul doesn't hesitate to roll up his sleeves and get dirty. We saw him call the Sanhedrin and the high priest a whitewashed wall. I mean, that was an insult right to his face. Or look at Acts 15 when Barnabas and he get into a sharp disagreement. And, and Paul refuses to budge. Or look at the way he refers in 2 Corinthians. He says, will I have to come at you with a stick? You know, like a father to, you know, uh, with a stick to punish you? I mean, you're like, whoa, that's something else. Uh, if, if you go back to Acts 15, when he's talking with the, the, the other uh, Christians and the converted Christians about whether or not the Gentiles will be accepted, he disputes with them at great length. He's constantly in the courtyards, constantly in the synagogues, debating and reasoning, debating and reasoning. I mean, and so that third point, not only does he face the conflict, not only does he keep his focus on the issue, but he engages. And, and I think that here we have all of us as modern day Americans, something to learn from. If you allow yourself to get pushed around because you, you think that somehow you're supposed to lose being a Christian, you just might. And then just ask yourself, what about everyone depending upon me? You know, if I, if I don't go into that conflict with my eldest son, my, my second son, my third daughter, whoever it is in my family, what about the rest of the family? What kind of example am I going to give? So yes, there's times where you just agree to lose. There's times where you can't say anything. You know, take a look at Acts 17 when Paul's in there in Philippi and he gets condemned. He's never even allowed to make a defense. Okay, so like sometimes you just have to lose, so to speak. But when you can engage, remember that part of our leadership is this combat and that we have to demonstrate to those who are behind us that we are willing to fight for them, that we're willing to enter into this, this realm for their sake. Otherwise, they'll lose confidence in us. And I think that in the end, we also bear a beautiful witness to Jesus Christ, who, when he was struck on the cheek, actually asked, why did you strike me? My friends, let's engage in this combat with love, with charity, with truth, but with strength as if we intended to win. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.